Well, good morning, everybody. So we are going to keep going through the book of 1 Kings, and we're in chapter 19 now. So if you have your Bibles or on your phones, go ahead and turn there. And and we're going to go ahead and start with verse 1. You guys remember what happened in the previous chapter? Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal, and uh, God sends fire, and the nation cries out, the Lord is God. There's a certain level of repentance, and then the three-and-a-half-year drought breaks, and rain comes again after three-and-a-half years, and now we get to this point. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword so that there was capital punishment on the prophets of Baal. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So what is she threatening to do? Kill him. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now, you have to understand that he had been up in northern Israel. He just left Israel and is now in the southern kingdom of Judah, outside of Jezebel's and Ahab's territory. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness or the desert, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. So last chapter he was praying for rain and got it, and this chapter he's praying for God to basically kill him. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. So what we got here is Elijah has this victory on Mount Carmel. Jezebel threatens to kill him. Now, Jezebel had already killed, massacred a lot of the Lord's prophets. So her threat was not an idle threat. It was a serious. You take it seriously. Like in 1 Kings 18, 4, it said, And when Jezebel cut off or killed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water, hiding them from the Holocaust. So in response to Jezebel's words, Elijah becomes afraid. It said, then he was afraid. And in his fear, what he does is he leaves Israel altogether. The the territory that Jezebel and Ahab were over as king and queen, he's gone. He goes to the southernmost extreme part of the southern kingdom of Judah and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Then, he wants to leave any area where there's people. So he leaves all the settled areas, goes into the wilderness away from everyone, including his own servant, his own assistant. So in verses 3 and 4, and he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Then he flees in fear He isolates himself completely. He gives in to despair. 
and he asked God to take his life. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, Elijah doesn't really want to die. If Elijah really wanted to die, then just stay in Jezebel's territory. Right? If he really wanted to die, he's not going to leave Israel. So what is he sharing? He's expressing his feelings. His actions are saying something different. He's trying not to die. Right? If he really wanted to die, he wouldn't have fled. Now, by fleeing away from Israel, understand this, he is resigning his job as a prophet. He was a prophet to Israel. He's resigning. And with his prayer to die, he's not just giving up on his ministry, he's giving up on his life. And when he says to the Lord, I am no better than my father's, he's saying all those ancient ancestors that forsook God, all the ancestors that disobeyed, he says, oh, I'm pretty much the same as them. So you might as well take me out too. And by the way, Elijah isn't the only prophet that struggled with fear with hopelessness and despair. Have you read what these guys said to God? Moses, book of Numbers. This is after parting the Red Sea. This is after 10 plagues. This is after standing up to the, the world empire and winning. Right? I am not able to carry all this people alone the burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight, that I might not see my wretchedness. Well, that's Moses. God, these people are miserable. They complain a lot. They're constantly grumbling. I don't want to, if you're going to make me lead them, then just kill me. I would rather die than lead them. And if you really like me, then just take me out. So, Because Moses himself is feeling his own wretchedness, his own wrongness. How about Jeremiah? How about this for a prayer during your prayer meeting? Curse be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? So what does God do? Elijah doesn't, he does what you're not supposed to do. He gives in to the fear. He gives in to the hopelessness. He gives in to the despair. He acts it out. And when, when, when we despair, the question is, when you feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel and you're just like, okay, I'm done now, this is it. How does God respond? How does God respond? Let's look at it. 1 Kings 19, verses 4 through 8. 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. He's like, you know, what people might do when they're depressed, he's just going to what? Go to sleep. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. I don't know if you get this. God sends an angel, miraculous food and drink. He does take it, and then he goes right back to sleep and depression. And the angel of God came again a second time and touched him, saying, Arise and eat. Now, you don't get this in the English, doesn't show it, for the journey is too great for you. Earlier on, he said, it is enough. The actual Hebrew is enough. I've had enough. Take my life. The angel uses the same word back to him and says, arise and eat. This journey is enough for you. Uses the same word. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So after he's nourished, he goes on a fast. He goes on a fast to prepare his heart for what's coming. So what does this passage highlight? The Lord is as stubborn as Elijah. Because of this little word again that you find in the text. You see, Elijah keeps trying to resign from his position. 19 verse 5, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And then in verse 6, and he ate and drank and lay down what? Again. He's like, I am going to resign. The same word again is used in a different context. The angel refuses to accept Elijah's resignation. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, and then Elijah kind of goes back to try to go back to sleep. And the angel Lord came what? Again, a second time and touched him. God is going to refuse his resignation. Elijah found somebody more stubborn than him. You, there are times when, people, when we try to give up or when you might try to give up. And God is not going to let you give up easily. Do you understand that? So how did God respond to Elijah? Elijah sees, God sees he's discouraged, he's in despair, he doesn't, he's ready to give up, he's trying to resign. So how does God respond to that? Well, the first thing is God encourages him. Somebody tell me, what does the word encourage mean? Somebody say it out loud. What what does it mean to encourage? What does it mean? To give hope? What else? To lift up? What else does it mean? Encourage. To give courage? What else does it mean? To encourage somebody. 
What happens when you encourage somebody? You come alongside you, what? You help them persevere? So it's interesting in the Hebrew in this text. There's this word malak. It means messenger. Now, it could be translated as messenger or it can be translated as angel. It's the same word. Jezebel, chapter 19, verse 2, sent a messenger, Malak, to Elijah to threaten him with death. So how does God respond? In response to Jezebel's messenger, God sends his own messenger twice. An angel, Malak, in 19.5 and 19.7 to encourage and help Elijah. He tries to encourage him. Then he tries, then God nourishes him. Because when someone's ready to give up, resign, get depressed, and despair, they usually make choices that are bad for their own souls and bad for their own bodies. And God's like, Elijah, what are you doing? You need to eat. The Lord provides food and sustenance to strengthen Elijah for the journey that he has for him. Verse 8, then he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food. So he encourages him, nourishes him, and then he redirects him. You see, there's this, little, this word derek, it means journey. And it said in verse 4, Elijah went on a day's journey direct into the wilderness. So Elijah's on his own plan right now, and it's not good. And he's trying to leave his prophetic ministry and give up on life. He's discouraged. So the angel redirects him and sends him on a new journey. Instead of letting him lay down and give up, the angel says, I have an assignment for you. Verse 7, arise, eat, and drink for the journey, there's the same word again, is enough for you. Now, where did God redirect Elijah? Where, where, at this point, where does he send him? It's interesting. God doesn't say immediately, get back into Israel and confront Jezebel. Get back into Israel and start prophesying to the Israelis again. Get back into the Israel and do spiritual warfare against Baal and all of those demonic powers. He doesn't say that. He sends him to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. Two names for the same mountain. And what happened on Mount Sinai? That's where God met whom? Moses. Remember? Book of Exodus. So what God does, Elijah's discouraged. And God says, I have a journey for you, and I'm not going to put you right back into a bunch of activity. What I want you to do, God leads Elijah back to himself. He leads Elijah back to God. Right? 
When you are overwhelmed by anxiety or fear or hopelessness or despair, what is the answer to that? If the answer isn't God, then what is it? Right? In fact, what happens in despair, hopelessness, giving up, being afraid, is you're actually in a place where nothing else matters but God. Your circumstances already suck anyway, right? But what does it mean to re-encounter God? Here's what we need to look at for a couple minutes. You have to meet God as he really is. Not who you think he is. The answer is God as he really is. Not the God portrayed by the culture or even a megachurch culture or life coaching or your own opinions. Who God really is is the answer. And so how does God reveal himself to Elijah? Let's find out. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 9 to 13, or 19, chapter 19, verse 9 to 13. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only I am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, by the way, everything Elijah said is true, but it's not the whole truth. Yes, they had forsaken your covenant, and the whole nation just bowed down and said, the Lord, he is God. Right? Yes, they had thrown down your altars, and Elijah, in front of the nation, just repaired one of those altars. Yes, they have killed your prophets, and 450 prophets of Baal were just killed. And yes, Elijah is left, but he's not the only one left. Do you understand what I'm saying? What Elijah said is true. But in his frame of mind, he was not seeing. He was only seeing what God was not doing in a sense. He wasn't seeing what God had been doing. But regardless, it still is true what he said, though. Verse 11, and God said, go out and stand at the mount before the Lord. God said, I want you to meet me. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, wind is something that is, it's unformed. It's, you can't put a, it's, 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 uh, 
wind is um, it's fluid, right? It's unformed. You can't pin it down. Same with an earthquake, the sound vibrations and the energy. The same with fire. There's something similar to wind, earthquake, and fire. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So the Lord visited Elijah at the cave entrance on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, verse 11, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. So the Lord is passing by. The Lord is coming. The Lord is showing up. There comes a great wind strong enough to shatter rocks. Then an earthquake and then a fire. And those signs often were the signs that accompanied a divine visitation. There are so many examples of that. One example is Exodus 19, verse 16 to 18. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain earthquake trembled greatly. So wind, fire, earthquake were signs of the Lord's presence. Even earlier on in Elijah's old story, fire and wind appeared from God. 1 Kings 18, 38, then the fire of the Lord fell. 1 Kings 18, 45, and in a little while the heavens grew black with, black with clouds and wind. But... God is visiting on Mount Sinai, but the text says something that seems really weird. But the Lord was not in the wind. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. But the Lord was not in the fire. And what we're talking, what, what, what the text is doing is the difference between cause and effect. Now track with me here. The wind, earthquake, and fire, those weren't just natural things. It said the Lord passed by, boom, a wind, boom, an earthquake, boom, fire. Right? The wind, earthquake, and fire were the effects of his presence, the results, not the cause. Who was the cause? What was the cause? There's a difference. Listen to me. There is a difference between who God is and what he does. There's a difference. And what God was trying to show Elijah 
you need to recognize that difference. But why is recognizing that difference so important? You see, Elijah can't just focus on the miracles. Why? Because the miracles came. Fire came down from heaven. Wind and rain came and broke the drought in direct answer to prayer. All of that happened in chapter 18, right? Right? In chapter 19, Jezebel and the Israelites try to kill Elijah. The miracles were there. Listen to me. It didn't cause the change that Elijah was hoping it would cause. Were the miracles legit? They were real. But the effect, what they caused, what happened, was probably not what Elijah was hoping for. Because the same nation that saw the miracles is now trying to kill him. And he's like, they're still in control? They're still running the show? And he's the one fleeing. After all the miracles, the situation in Israel didn't turn out the way Elijah expected. Twice God says to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And twice Elijah responds, I have been very jealous for the Lord of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, which is still true, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, all true, and I, even only I, am left, and now it is, and they seek my life to kill me. Elijah, what are you doing here? Well, God, you did all that great stuff. But look at where it ended up. So God says, Elijah, I got to shift your focus. From the miracle signs and wonders from God, which are the effects, to what? To what? To God Himself, which is the cause. If God wasn't in the wind, earthquake, and fire, what was he in? Now, now God said, okay, Elijah, you saw all the stuff I can do. Now you will experience who I am. You've seen my power. Now I'm going to show you my person. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, this would be a long teaching. I'm going to do it in one sentence. The actual Hebrew phrase is the sound of sheer or absolute or it's like the, the, the word shear in Hebrew is used for fine dust or something that is particular. The sound of sheer silence. The Hebrew is the sound 
of sheer silence. It's not just a whisper. It's not just that God was telling Elijah, I can be mighty and powerful, but sometimes I'm really quiet and gentle. That is not what this text is about. The sound of sheer silence is an absolute paradox. Somebody tell me, what does the word paradox mean? Two things that don't seem to fit together. They almost look like they seem to contradict each other. Right? A sound of sheer silence. A sound is something you hear. The same exact Hebrew word was just used a few verses earlier when Elijah says there is the sound of a rushing of rain. So a sound is something you what? Hear. Silence is the absence of sound. Right? Silence is something that you do not hear. So when God says, here I am, Elijah, and he says, it's the sound of sheer silence. It's a paradox. All of a sudden, Elijah experiences someone that is impossible for his brain to wrap around. It's impossible for his mind to comprehend. It is something that shouldn't be, but is. Indescribable. And so what happens to Elijah is not by saying more, well, God, blah, 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 or doing more. What happens to Elijah, listen to me carefully, Elijah becomes overwhelmed by God. How do we know that? Verse 13, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. When you wrap your face in your jacket, when you're facing something that you cannot face, it's too overwhelming. It's too incomprehensible. It's too mind-exploding. Okay, I'm just going to wrap my head in my jacket. I got no other response here. There are literally hundreds of pages of commentary and discussion about this phrase, sound of sheer silence. It is one of the strangest phrases in the entire Bible. I remember when I was, and what I'm going to describe is not this. It's not even close to this. But when I was a, a, a boy, I was in my bedroom one night, and I had an Apple IIc computer with an amber monitor, because we didn't do colored monitors back then. It was either green screen or amber. 
and I was playing a computer game called Cubert, where you jump on boxes and try not to fall off. And I'm just sitting there. I'm, there's no other lights on in my room. It's at night. And I'm just playing this computer game. Nothing else is going on. The only light on in my room is my computer screen. And all of a sudden, a light, visible light, it wasn't an impression, it wasn't a vision, it wasn't my imagination, it was with my own eyes and whatever else you can perceive something with besides your eyes, it was light started filling my room and it kept filling it. It was like a tornado of light sideways coming in, like a vortex of light coming in. And I was so terrified, so overwhelmed. I literally, and I don't know how, I, I, I know I jumped off my chair. I, I, I jumped to the back of my room where my closet doors were. I sat down on, on the bottom with my head like this. And I just sat there and I just trembled. I'm just playing Cubert. How did I die and go to heaven? But I also knew I didn't die. At least I didn't think I died. I don't know what I knew. And, the, and, 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 and a sense of space, a sense of perspective was gone. In terms of ceilings and, 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 and walls and floors and being in a condominium and being in your Belinda, it's all gone. The sense of space. And, 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 this, and, and it just kept filling, this tornado of light filling the room. Then I heard an audible voice. Now, I've heard people use that term. I've heard people throw that term around. I really did. I've never heard it since. This was not a clear thought. This was not... Uh, a strong impression. This was not a voice in my head. This was an audible voice heard with my ears and felt with all the cells in my body, whatever that means. And it came from the center of this vortex of light. And the voice said, Samuel, Samuel, which was my full name. And it was, it was like thunder. Think of the thunderclap and then multiply it times a lot. And it was, it was thunder. It was a thunderclap. It was explosive. It was sheer. It was scary. It was terrifying. Terrifying. At the exact same time, the same exact voice was the most gentle voice you could ever imagine. Think of the nicest person you've ever met and what their voice does to you when they talk. It was the most gentle, kindest, understanding voice you could ever imagine at the same time. But I was too much for me. I couldn't take it. I ran out of my room. I ran downstairs. I ran to the kitchen. My mom was washing dishes or something. I don't remember. She looked at me. 
Ask me what's going on. I don't know what my facial expression was. But I remember I didn't want to say the name God. It was like too overwhelming to say the name God. So I pointed up and I just said, the big guy in the sky just talked to me. I literally said that. I didn't know what I, she asked me what he said. I said, he said my name twice. She said, well, what more? I said, I don't know. I ran out of the room. And my mom asked me to go back up into my room to see if he had more to say. I did not want to do that at all. But a part of me really did want to find out if he had more to say. I remember walking up the stairs of our condominium, I mean, literally terrified. And I remember cracking open the door and the overwhelming sense of relief when my room was just my room. No light, no sound, no voice. I'm like, oh, thank God. And I went and I, and I sat on the floor again at the back of the room because I was like, oh my gosh, if he comes again, you know, at least to be the farthest place I can be away from him. You may not understand that, but we're talking about God now. We're not talking about Santa Claus. If he's here, you will be running the other way. You said, but what about intimacy? What about Abba? What about the Father? Both are true. I mean, Peter sees Jesus and says, depart from me. Isaiah sees, Jesus, sees God and says, woe is me. Right? I sat there for about 45 minutes waiting to see if God would say something else. He never did. All he wanted to say was that name twice. Now, the reason I'm sharing that, I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to go to bed tonight and all of a sudden you're going to have a tornado of light and an audible voice. What I'm saying is whether or not you ever have that experience has nothing to do with God because He is who He is. And, and, and however you come to know who He is, that is the answer to you. That is the answer to you, just like it was to Elijah. One last thing. 1 Kings 19, verse 9, it says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him in verse 11, and he said, Go out and stand at the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And then we're going to jump to verse 15. What does the Lord say to Elijah? What's Elijah's new assignment? Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mehalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place, and the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him, that idol. 
might say, what is going on? Elijah tries to give his resignation. What does God give Elijah? A what? A what? A what? New assignment. God redirects him. God says, listen, Elijah, I let you give in to your feelings of despair. But I'm not going to let you stay there. He says, get up and fulfill what I've called you to do. And what was the assignment? What was God trying to accomplish? Here's what we need to understand. I want you to say something right now. It's not all about me. Say it louder. One more time. In 1 Kings 19 verse 9, in Hebrew it says, there he came to the cave. The cave. That article, the, with the noun, in this instance, it seems to indicate there's a particular cave that the readers of 1 Kings would have recognized. And almost all scholars say, well, it's pretty clear what he's referring to. The same cleft in the rock, the same cave that God met Moses in, in the same mountain. Exodus 33:22. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then, in 1 Kings 19.11, after saying, get to the cave, the same one Moses was in, the Lord says to Elijah, it says, the Lord passed by. Why that verb, passed by? That's the same verb used when God encounters Moses. Exodus 33.22, and while my glory, what? Passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have what? Pass by. It's clear that Elijah's encounter is connected to Moses' encounter, which was centuries earlier. What is Why is that connection made? Listen to me carefully. What was happening to Elijah was a continuation of what God was already starting and accomplishing through Moses. This was as much about God answering Moses' prayer as it was dealing with Elijah. Did you hear what I just said? The whole story was not just about Elijah and Israel. God had a plan for Israel, and he accomplishing it through Moses. He was just continuing that through Elijah. How was he continuing it? And you understand this principle. God was responding to the prayers and faithfulness of the forefathers, and Elijah had stepped into that. You get it? I'll probably mess this up. Brooke and I are going to meet this afternoon with a man that had a, a dream. We don't know who he is. We don't know when this, this dream was. It seems like it was given a long time ago. 
and with um, Dave and Debbie, who have the Haven Lane Church, and Damien and Marnie, who have the Canyon Vineyard, is that what it's called? Church. And in the dream, Carol Wimber gave him a stack of business cards. And then in the dream, pulled out three business cards with names and addresses on it. And in the dream, then he saw John Wimber walking among the cards. And this was given a a while ago. And there's a lot to the dream. We're going to meet with him. We're going to be interested. We'll hear more. But it seems like it was given, I don't remember the exact time frame. But there are three churches right now, and, and it was in your Belinda, in your Belinda that this dream that these cards had churches were for. And there's three churches, all full of people that had come out, right, of the Anaheim Vineyard. But the key is that in the dream, John was walking in like one of the, um, in the book of Hebrews, the, the cloud of witnesses. What if so much of what we're doing isn't just about us? What if there are, what if there was faithfulness that John Wimber showed that God is still planning on responding to? Prophecies that Bob Jones, Paul Kane, John Paul Jackson gave for the vineyard that are still yet to be fulfilled given, given decades ago. What if there is faithful things that God is responding to? I mean, John was stepping into something out of the Quaker movement and faithfulness and prayers from those spiritual forefathers. What if we are in the continuum of something that we don't understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? So God tells Elijah to anoint Hezael as king over Syria, Jehu as king over Israel, and Elisha as prophet in his place. What is God telling Elisha? He's saying, Elisha, so much of what I want you to accomplish isn't going to happen in your lifetime. It's after you're gone. So how is it going to be accomplished? Through Elijah's successors. Not with him, but through people that come after him. So much of your obedience, you are not going to see the fruit of it. In fact, most of the fruit of your obedience, you're not going to see. It's the generations after us. It's always like that until the final generation of the generation of the Lord's return. They're going to get it all. All. Because that pattern has this culminating point. Now, here's the weird part about the text. God says, Elijah, you do Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha, right? So in 2 Kings, um, that's supposed to be 1 Kings, not 2 Kings. 
in 1 Kings chapter 19, 19 and 21, Elijah chooses Elisha as his successor. Well, that was in obedience to the command, right? But then you get to 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 7 and 15. It wasn't, Eli it wasn't Elijah, but Elisha who promotes Hazael to be king of Syria. Are you tracking with me? And then in 2 Kings chapter 9, it wasn't Elijah or Elisha, but Elisha's disciple who anoints Jehu to be king of Israel. Notice that? So God gives three tasks to Elijah, but those three tasks were not all fulfilled by Elijah. They were fulfilled by Elijah and his successors. Do you see the way God thinks? Your accomplishments and rewards are not necessarily what you individually accomplish. It's going to happen through your children or through your students or through your disciples or through the ones that in a relationship you pass something on to them. Some people die and it's like they get near their death and they, they think, what happened to all the promises that God gave? What happened to all the calling that I was called to? It's like my life didn't, and what they don't recognize is along that way, they had moments of passing stuff off to people and God says, well, yeah, you're going to die and be with me, but watch what happens through them or the ones they pass it on to. It's the continuum of the kingdom. It's the way it works. Does that make sense? Lastly, Elisha's initial complaint um, was that even with the signs, wonders, and repentance of 1 Kings 17 and 18, Jezebel's reign, but all worship, is still fully in force in Israel. So God answers Elijah's complaint by saying, Elijah, I want you to anoint Elisha, Hazael, and Jehu. Because they're going to end Baal worship in Israel. And what you have is Jehu, 2 Kings chapter 10. This is so much, this is such a long period after they, verse 27, they demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and the people have used it for a latrine to this day. So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. Remember what Elijah was complaining to God? God says, I'm going to deal with it, Elijah. The problem is timing. There's multiple generations, Elijah, in my plan to destroy the worship of Baal. Not just through you and your one prophetic ministry. Amen. Deanna, do you want to come up? 
as a church, there's this wonderful little verse in Galatians. If you guys have never read it, you might want to read it. It said, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? And this is what you have when you have a church. You have some people that are doing really well, feeling good, right? Minds and hearts are in a good place, feeling successful. And other people, like Elijah, despair, no light at the end of the tunnel, feeling depressed, fearful, anxious, having trouble getting up out of bed in the morning. Elijah was having trouble what? Getting out of bed. For reals. He really was. So what you do in a church is that we need to always be praying for each other and encouraging each other. We come alongside, and these prayers actually matter. They actually get answered. And so I really want us to encourage each other this morning. So what I'd like to do is if, um, if you have, if, if, if you're like me and Elijah, we totally relate with each other this morning. You're struggling. You've got some, some, maybe some fearful or anxiety things you're facing, some sad or depressive things you're facing, maybe even a sense of hopelessness about something. And we want to just come alongside you and encourage you and pray with you. It actually matters. So if you want, if you want, and I don't want, we don't want to embarrass each other. We're just one big family. But if you want people just to pray with you right now, you're like, man, I'm feeling like Elijah this morning. Just raise your hand. For reals, raise your hand. Jerry, you got your hand raised. Anyone else? Cliff, you got your hand back there raised. Raise your hand. This is really a time for us to gather around each other. Anyone else? And it may, need, it may not need to be as serious as what Elijah went through, but you can feel it right now. Who else wants prayer? Anyone else? I'm sure there's more than just the two of you. Daryl, okay, right there. He's back there. Okay, raise your hand high, and I want you to start looking for a raised hand and start gathering around them. And I want you to ask God for words of encouragement and to pray for them. So raise your hand high. Look around for a raised hand and gather around them. The rest of you are a ministry team. So, come on. Gather around them. Look for raised hands and gather around them. We got over here? Two. So the Holy Spirit, we just ask. Holy Spirit, release right now uh, your messages and your encouragements right now in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Just like you encouraged Elijah with that angel, your messenger from heaven. Release those encouraging words, the uplift of souls right now, God. Come, Lord. 
Let your presence just meet us where we're at right now, God.